Part inspiration, part education. The whole artist with Courtney Rue. Be your best you. Hi, welcome to the Whole Artist with Courtney Rue. I am Courtney Rue, and I am so excited for you to listen to this podcast. It's just really just me talking to people I love and admire in the industry, coaches, creators, actors, industry leaders about how to be a better actor, how to be a better person, really living a full, amazing life and how that can help you in your acting career. On today's show, we have Eric Chadron, who is the executive director of SAG-AFTRA in Chicago. He also oversees many offices that don't have physical offices in their city. So he oversees all of Illinois, Wisconsin, and Indiana. And he oversees contracts in Michigan and Minnesota. So he's a totally busy guy who's helping the union, helping us actors and broadcasters and singers and recording artists, and everybody in the union. But he is here today to let us know what's going on during COVID-19, what the staff is doing, what he's doing, and how we as actors and performers can help and how we can benefit from the union during this time. So I'm really excited to talk to him. We also have David Elzey today. He had a 30-year successful acting career, and he's also worked in the field of consciousness, emotional health, and living an awakened life for a few decades now as a teacher and coach for organizations and individuals. His clients range from the United Nations to the investment industry and individuals in all challenges of life, including myself. He's my coach. And he talks about COVID-19. He's one of the few global instructors of the Sedona Method, a technique for letting go and realizing our unlimited nature. He's a transformational speaker and performer at conferences and events worldwide. And he is amazing. I'm so glad that he's here today. He's going to be teaching us about breathing and how that can transform our life and our acting career. All right, with us today, again, is Eric Chadron, Executive Director of the Chicago SAG-AFTRA, and a friend of mine. I'm on the board, and he oversees that board, so thank you for being here, Eric. So I hear your Executive Director's reports every month at the board meetings, but not a lot of people know what exactly you do. So before we get started in how the members can be working during COVID-19 or what they can do or what you guys are doing, can you just explain your job? Yeah, sure. Uh, and thank you for having me. This is exciting to be able to um, talk to you and to your folks and your followers out there. So thanks for the opportunity to kind of talk a little bit about the union and and express our um, excitement about helping our members. And this is a, this is a great great avenue for doing that. So just Thank in you. general, I would say as a executive director, you get to wear a lot of hats and that's kind of great for somebody like me who um, I like to keep a lot of balls in the air. So it's actually good for me. If I have one big project, I tend to be a little bit of a procrastinator. So it's nice to have a lot of things to have to get done and a lot of deadlines. So I, it, it really plays to what I think are my strengths. So as executive director, I really first have to start by saying that anything I do would be unimportant if it wasn't for the staff that I have. And you mentioned them and they're, they're incredible. So I get to supervise an incredible staff. I would say that 
supervision is probably not the exact term. It's more of just kind of keeping up with them. They are incredible and they do, they are very self-sufficient and work very hard and they tend to be great with ideas. They tend to be very motivated and they tend to be member focused. So the main thing that I do, I think is hire smart people. And so if I can pat myself on the back for anything, it really is having brought in some incredible people to do a really difficult job and and they do it with great professionalism and with great enthusiasm. So I'm really lucky in that respect, but I guess hiring staff would be the first thing, you know, hiring, retention, making sure that they're getting paid adequately, that their needs are being met. That falls on me. A lot of times that is a negotiation between my staff and myself. And then a second negotiation between our national finance department to make sure that we're getting the correct budget for resources and things like that. I uh, work with our departments. Every, you know, every week we are meeting to set goals and sit down. We have uh, discussions about what are the challenges that we need to be addressing in order to meet our members' needs. And so we're constantly coming up with new initiatives, new ways of addressing problems, or just basically filling in holes where we think maybe there needs to be a new way of addressing a problem or a, a way of addressing a new problem. So there's a lot of different elements to that. So a lot of meetings with our folks to make sure that they have the resources they need to meet the needs of the members. I represent the local office at the national level. So if we have national board meetings, national meetings, executive committee meetings, my job is to be the staff member in the room to make sure that I am addressing um, the needs of the local and also making sure that we are heard and seen in those important meetings in those rooms. So uh, I'm usually in most of those meetings and that can be exciting at times. And I got to say, it's one of the more interesting parts of my job is to see how the sausage is made at the national level and how all the different local offices work with the national staff and administration to make 23 locals across the country go. So that's a really exciting part of my job. I think that another part of it, you know, without going too far into it, I wear a lot of other hats. I sit as the president of the Coffer Resource Center, which is our local center. Let me give it a shout out while I'm here. It's amazing. And I hope we get to talk a little bit about that in detail. Oh, sure. Yeah, But the Coffer Center is, I get to sit as president on that. And that's a wonderful resource that I got to walk into a turnkey operation that was set up with an endowment. And we've just done a lot of good stuff, I think, to make it better. But I think it's uh, it's really responsive to our members' needs. So I, I get a lot of pleasure out of being able to help guide that program. I also sit as the president of the Illinois Production Alliance, which is the organization which oversees the film tax credit. But we've been uh, very fortunate to be able to grow our resource base, and we've been able to hire a senior consultant coordinator for the IPA during my tenure there. And then I've also founded, co-founded, I should say, and now sit as chair on the uh, Actors Fund Central Regional Council. So keeps me busy. Uh, there's a lot of things to be done yeah. and, um, and really, really exciting. So yeah, I do think that encapsulates the, the major portion of what I do. Yeah. And thank you so much for all of that. But uh, like the tax incentive is so important for especially actors in Chicago to continue to work and have the TV shows that we have here. So your work on there has been really instrumental in having us have work here as union members <laughs> in Chicago. So have you noticed a difference now with your job <laughs> during this pandemic? Um, what does that look like? And what are you mostly focused on right now? And your staff, what are they focused on right now? Boy, I could go three hours on that. Um, it has <laughs> changed significantly what we do. I will tell you right now that television production and commercial production has gone, you know, is down and there's no doubt about that. But something I've neglected to mention that I do, not as executive director, but as counsel to SAG after is I negotiate contracts too on the broadcast side. And that has been an area that is extremely busy right now. 
We have a lot of issues coming up with our stations on the broadcast side, radio and television, where people are asked to work from home. So we're having to make sure that we are assured our folks are safe if they're having to go out and report on the streets or that they have the necessary equipment they need to do their job effectively from a remote location that's not a studio. So that becomes a big issue for us. And then we also had a pretty big financial hit to the radio side of broadcast. So we've had to negotiate some concessions and some contracts to keep some of the larger radio companies, uh, Intercom and iHearts of the world. We, we've had to negotiate some concessions to make sure that folks keep their jobs. So we've been pretty fortunate in that. So that's the big change. The other big change that I've seen has been just adjusting to our members' needs. I mean, they've changed markedly. We went from people needing to make sure they're represented in contract negotiations, making sure that we we're out organizing new work, making sure that we're overseeing enforcement at our studios. It's just booming. It was just going crazy, gangbusters. And um, and then to have it come to a screeching halt has been, it's been a change in our approach, a change in the hats we wear. And so it's been really difficult. I got to be honest, I'll just be straight with you. It's been it's been a difficult adjustment to make to go from being enforcer to social worker. I mean, really, that's our yeah. job now. We, we're trying and to, to have to do it from our, home. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and the, the, the difficult thing that we're still sort of searching around for, and this is part of the reason I would I love doing something like this, is we're really trying to find ways to connect with our members. Because in this time of resource scarcity, you know, the union has been hit pretty hard because, you know, we exist off member dues and we've um, had members that just can't pay their dues right now. So our revenues are way down. And with reduced revenues and reduced staffing, we're having to address a lot of needs that we weren't having to do previously. And so that's been a big adjustment. And I think it's something that we've done, I think, pretty well. I think our, our staff has stepped up and really pushed hard to make sure that folks are being heard, that we're reaching out to them and that they understand that we're here, that we haven't gone away. We're still here to, to address yeah. um, whatever needs they have as members. And they can call and it'll be redirected to someone's cell phone if they need help. Correct. I want to say that, so you don't have to say it, like I was able to pay my dues, so I paid my dues in full. And if anyone out there is able to pay your dues, please do so because your staff is working overtime and part of that money goes towards staff. So please, if you can, pay your dues. And if you can't, you can postpone paying your dues. So take advantage of that as well if you need to. And just if people need to know, we we have gone on a major austerity program. So understand there is no wasted expense. If there ever was wasted expense, I don't think there ever was a, a whole lot. But if there ever was a wasted expense, it's gone. We are down to the bare bones to try to make sure that, that, that the organization remains viable and can go into the future. But I really appreciate you making that comment because it, it, it does make a difference. The thing that we want is we want to make sure that we we have a viable organization in Chicago, a viable office, so that when production inevitably ramps up, because there's a lot of itching for it to happen now, when that ramps up, we want to be able to hit the ground running. And so people are able to do it. Please pay your dues. That's great. Thank you for that. Can you talk at all about the canceled contracts that happened due to COVID-19 and, and the work that's being done to get money, if possible, for members who had contracts that were canceled? I can give you the Reader's Digest version, because really we get reports. It's been it's been taken up um, at the national level. Typically, folks in our office would be negotiating any kind of modifications to individual contracts at the local level if they happen in Chicago. But because of the 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 massive nature of the whole thing, our national office took up the whole concept of force majeure, which is what the companies are claiming as a, a reason for not having to pay the full amounts on the contracts. that Those negotiations, as I understand it, are still ongoing and they're being done individually with each production company. 
I, I don't want to assume that everybody's heard the term force majeure yet, but just so they're clear, force majeure is basically that think of it as an act of God in which the producer or the, the, the producing entity has no control over it. So therefore, because it means an end to the production, a, an abrupt end, and there's not money in the budget for one reason or other, they are claiming that they don't have to pay it because it's, it's an act of God beyond their control and it means less revenue to them so that they don't, either don't have to pay a contract or they have to pay or they have to negotiate for a, a reduced amount to the uh, performers. So as I understand it, those negotiations are still going on as we speak and I'm hoping that we get word back on that pretty soon. Thank you. Thanks for doing that and explaining that. It's become apparent to me that I feel like more and more people are realizing how important unions are in times like these because we have essential workers that aren't getting paid well, that aren't getting protection. Do you feel like people are seeing that? Because there's this brainwashing that's, I think, going on that unions are bad. And of course, that's coming from corporations who don't want to pay their workers and protect them and everything. So do you feel a shift happening now or what's going on there? I would say as an industry, we've always been a a much more union accepting industry. That doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of non-union entities out there trying to take what would otherwise be union work. I would say that we are in a position where people are starting to, at least people that work under these contracts are understanding the value of representation. I, again, I'll go back to broadcast for, for instance. We've had three of these concessionary negotiations and you'd think, oh my gosh, the members would be really upset because they're having to take a pay cut or whatever. But you're looking at the companies that we're working with and we're having to negotiate uh, maybe a furlough or negotiate a 10% or 15% wage cut. But you're seeing the non-represented staff at those same companies just basically being laid off and cleared out and they don't have any representation rights. And so mm-hmm. I think from the standpoint of people who are already represented, I think it's very clear to them at this point what the value of, of collectivism and, and uh, union involvement, you know, what it's worth. And so my sincere hope is that there are people that are observing what's going on in the union unionized workforce versus the non-unionized workforce. And they they see it as a valuable. Interesting enough, we've had um, at least three inquiries from people who are basically fee paying non-members who are looking to rejoin. So there must be some value in that. There must be some people are seeing the value in that. And on top of that, we have new joints. People are still trying to join. They want to be part of this union. And so I think just specifically to our union, it's it's actually beautiful to see that we had, I think we had six or eight inquiries for new joints, which is, you know, it's not a lot. We t- typically have 10 to 20 a month, but people are still interested in being part of this union. And that's that can't be said in all industries. Yeah, that's really great. I love that. What can members do to take advantage of their union membership during this time when everything is virtual and not a lot of production is happening? And like you said, TV and film. I've got a couple of things to say on that. First of all, stay tuned because I think we're going to have a really fun project. We're trying to get our okay from our national folks. We're going to have something locally in Chicago that's going to be a lot of fun. And I, I don't know if your listeners and followers are going to be all from Chicago, but we're, we're looking at rolling out a really exciting project that's going to involve um, a lot of folks locally. But I can't be more specific to that till, till we get the okay. But um, stay tuned. Ooh. And, uh, and, and um, I'll make sure that you get the first word, Courtney, when I find Thank out you. we got the okay. I would tell you the thing I'm hearing back from agents and casting directors is, especially from agents, is that they're not hearing from anybody. They don't know how their clients are doing out there. They don't know what's going on a lot of times. You know, reach out to your agent, find out what's going on with them, talk to them. 
start having conversations with your fellow actors if you're not already doing that. The best way to engage with your union right now is with the Coffer Center. I was talking about that earlier. Yeah. And we have a lot of different activities going on in the coffer for training purposes. We've got different training programs going on. We got games, we've got discussions, we have studio jams, just a plethora of things. I moderated the OnCam jam this month. That was really fun. Just a small group of actors working on a script and giving feedback. And it was really cool. And we appreciate it. You've always been a great supporter and fan of what we do over there. And Jess Jones, if Hopefully that name rings a bell to some people out there. She is incredible. She was on the agent side and came over and we, we have just not missed a beat since she's been there. So we're, we're really she's blessed to have her over there. So much work for the Coffer Center and for the actors in the, in the union. So please make sure you reach out to Jess and say you're interested in being, becoming part of what the Coffer is doing because it's very exciting. And I will tell you that, that we're going to be convening some meetings in the coming week, uh, probably Yes, I think the 22nd, there's going to be uh, a meeting with the the governor, the state film office, the Illinois Production Alliance, which, like I said, we're part of, um, and many stakeholders in the production community, including Cinespace Studios. We're going to have a a large roundtable and planning timelines and resource necessities for us to get back to production. There's a real itch to go now, and I think everybody's looking to do it. I know that Alex Picios at Cinespace Studios made a real commitment to making sure that his studio is, is clean, sanitized, is safe. We're shooting for adequate testing and adequate sanitization so that um, people can, you know, feel comfortable in those lots. So that's going to be happening. And then, you know, we've just got to figure out the whole thing about living arrangements when they're not there. You know, where are they staying in hotels and and all those kind of side issues? Where are they going to eat? So there's a lot of issues that we're going to be discussing at that. So Well, we could just hire all local Chicago actors and then we wouldn't have a problem with that. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you're right. And I hope that this gives them a second look at how, how we're doing things, you know, flying people out and whatnot for roles that could be easily filled by the incredible talent we have here. I think that you may see some of that, you know, second thought uh, on that kind of issue um, as time goes by, because I think that's a natural development, not just as a result of COVID, but I think there's a natural development over time. We're seeing people get cast in some of these big projects. You know, we have a lot of local actors who were cast in the Fargo season this year. So they're... And then the more work we have here, you know, the more experience the actors here have, and it just keeps growing and growing. So yeah, very exciting. So yeah, there's a lot of good stuff going on. It's been a long slog, but I think that we're heading towards a good place. And I I feel really confident about that. That's we're going to have a whipsaw back as soon as we can get things rolling again. You know, we talked about what members can do to take classes and to have fun with games and things like that. Is there anything that actors can do like for organizing union work? Because you and I know that the union is not made up of just the staff. The union is the members and the union is very member driven. And we can't have that without members doing the work. So I've been a volunteer for the union on the board, on committees, things like that. What can we do now during this time in order to get involved in that way and help organize more union work during this time or just be involved Because I know that we can't do extra work that isn't part of the core things that the union does, which maybe you can cover those core things of what the union does after we talk a little bit about how members can get involved. We're always organizing, right? Every member an organizer, every staff an organizer. So if you hear of anything being shot, 
or, you know, whether it's a commercial, whether it's a student film, a low budget, if it's, uh, you know, people planning the production, make sure you reach out to our staff. Since the middle of March, we've had six OPOs, I believe. Can you tell them what OPOs are? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, one production only agreements. And we allow our on a commercial side for companies who are not union to sign what's called a one production only agreement. They can do up to three of them and they can get a sense of the ease with which it is, you know, it's, it's easy to work with the unions and it's easy to work with our members. And so um, we've had some pretty good success with that lately. So um, Sean Hennessy and our commercials department has done a great job of getting a, a bunch of these signed. I would say that you, that if you hear of anything out there, if you see a casting notice in Facebook or something like that, make sure that you get back to us and let us know. And we, we can have conversations with those folks. We can offer the OPO. It's a very user-friendly agreement, and we've had pretty good feedback on it. So um, if it's on the small production side, if it's uh, ultra-low budget or student films, make sure you reach out to Kathy Byrne in our office. Many you probably know who Kathy Byrne is, and make sure that, that we're aware. Um, let's let's you know try to move for that more interactive environment between yourself and your staff. If you haven't uh, utilized the staff resources since the downturn here, the COVID, uh, make sure you reach back out. Let them know that you're here and you've got these projects that are out there, and that we'll help you with that. We're not, you know, we haven't gone away. Yeah. It's just something that's really important for us to continue that communication loop. Anytime I hear wind or get an audition that is non-union, I'll send it to adsgounion at sagaftra.org. I believe that's the email address. Um, and I've actually flipped several jobs from non-union to union, not for myself, but for others that way. <laughs> so there, there was a big audition that I got wind of that had already by the time it got flipped to union had already been shot. So everybody from this commercial got either Taft Hartlead or joined the union and got union pay and residuals for this big national commercial. One of the people who joined the union from it came to the um, quarterly membership 101 meeting and I had mentioned this specific job and he was like, you're the reason I I joined the union. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then the other day I sent one to my agent and said, hey, any way we can make this union because it was an industrial. And she said, you know, typically this company has been doing non-union work, but I can reach out to casting and see if they're open. And then she emailed me and said, hey, I just got a union breakdown for this company. So thank you for doing that. That's great. So it's, it's yeah, up to us to do that. Exactly. And, you know, and there's the added issue, too, uh, on this is that there's a lot of pent up demand right now for people to start shooting films, commercials, industrials. They're out there and they're, they're just waiting for the way to figure this out. Right. So it's good if your staff knows this so we can help guide that process and make sure that people are safe on set once they do get that work. Right. We're very concerned that especially these smaller films that don't have big budgets, that people are going to be taking unnecessary risks. That's one thing I want to make sure people are clear. It's not our goal as staff to keep you from working. Our goal is to make sure that you are aware of the risks and that we have clear guidelines set out for producers to make sure that, that when you're on the set, you have at least reasonable understanding of any risks that you might be undertaking or that you are as safe as possible on the set. So understand that that's a real big goal for us is not to we want the work going and we want people on sets and we want people working again, but we really want to make sure that people are safe in the process. You know, I've heard of some people filming commercials in their houses now. And is is that what it's going to look like for a while? How do we know 
when it's safe to go back to work? Or is that the meeting on the 22nd? Is that what that's going to decide? That's a big part of it. I think that what's going to go this process is multifaceted. I think that first and foremost, it's going to be government. I think when the government decides, uh, you know, whether it's state government here or even more, probably just as important in California, right? When California feels mm-hmm. comfortable, because those are where the, a lot of decision makers are. And New York, obviously, they make decisions of when things happen. So they need to be comfortable that they don't have a huge liability issue. So as soon as those people make those decisions and in concert, while we're walking and chewing gum at the same time, we're having the discussions locally on how we meet those safeguards that they're laying out. So as I've said a million times on all of our meetings with the IPA and our, our constituent groups there, the testing is going to be the big thing. If we can find adequate testing, it's going to make everything else sort of fall into place. I believe that's that's my own personal beliefs. Definitely. Testing is becoming much more obtainable, to, certainly to government and to larger organizations like hospitals. So when it becomes to get to that level that we can that we can reliably come up with enough tests to make sure people are being checked every day before they get on set, I think that's where we'll be able to resume things. Right now, like you said, we are seeing commercials that are being done from people's houses, and um, you know you've seen them, and I think that there there's going to be a, a limited shelf life on those. <laughs> So yeah. I think that at some point people want want production value in what they're doing, and I think it's gonna. I think it's a great novel concept, and I. But I think that at some point people are gonna want to see actual commercials done. You know, uh, really well. You know, on, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you're a busy guy, but do you have anything else that you want to add before we hang up? First of all, one more plug for the Coffer Center. Come on. Okay. I want everybody to come out and yep. you know go go over there. Look, Go to the Coffer Center. Um, we'll put the information in the show notes. Perfect. And I just want to thank you, Courtney, because uh, without you, um, we've got two or three little Energizer bunnies on our – I shouldn't say little, not diminutive – Energizer bunnies <laughs> on our – you're not little. You're tough and and powerful, powerful young lady. So I don't mind I little. Just, okay. All right. Well, I don't don't want it to say anything other than you're you're pretty amazing. And um, thank you. Somebody who really really puts the time in, and I don't think she receives enough thank yous. But uh, you know, you don't ask for it, so I'm going to give it to you anyway. But thank you for all your help. And uh, just know everybody out there that the members like Courtney and your staff care about you, working hard for you, and we're we're accessible. So please don't hesitate to contact us if you need anything. Great. Thank you so much, Eric Chadrone. You're amazing. Yeah. Thank you for all your hard work. And you're just, yeah, love you, man. <laughs> I appreciate you too. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be speaking with David Elzey. Our next guest is David Elzey. David Elzey is an amazing coach that I've been working with for a few months. He has totally transformed my life and my acting career, and I want you to have this experience with him, and it all starts with breath. So that's what we're going to talk about with David. Hi, David. Thank you so much for being here today. Always enjoy talking to you, whether it's in our own personal coaching sessions one-on-one where you're coaching me or where we're doing videos and podcasts. And I just really enjoy talking with you and gaining your knowledge. (laughs) Thanks, Courtney. It's always fun exploring life through conversation with you as well. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah. The main part of today's discussion, I just want to focus on breath because I think it's really important and it's been helpful for me in this time. So I want to ask, why do you feel conscious breathing is essential for a successful career and life? Well, I think the most 
fundamental answer is that without it, we die. And without it, without breathing in specifically conscious ways, we find ourselves out of breath, less oxygen to the brain for functioning in our highest capacity. And I'll share in a few moments the physiology of it, but also the powerful impact it can have on our lives, both as people every day, even going to sleep, and how it can enhance our rest and sleep, waking up, how we can set our tone for the rest of the day by it, and in our careers and in circumstances of stress, how it can support our uh, enhancing our intelligence, our presence, and our impact on the people around us, especially in the realm of performing or as an artist or more specifically as an actor. Your body is your paintbrush and your emotions are your paints. So your capacity to heighten your presence, your emanating of light and health and vitality, that has an impact on anyone who wants to cast you, especially on camera. When you are on camera, the light in your eyes, the your ability to really paint with vibrant colors of life depends on your body as your paintbrush. So breath is an essential component of staying healthy and keeping your artist's tools at their highest ability. What I wanted to say is there's this quote that I really love. It's a Buddhist quote. And so this is a, a quote that starts with one who has gradually practiced and brought to perfection mindfulness of the in and out breath, illuminates the entire world like the moon when freed from clouds. And so you know that moment, we all have had that moment when there's a bright moon behind the thickness of clouds and the clouds thin and suddenly you see the radiant moon lighting up the landscape of the night. I'm very poetic in my life because I really believe we're still nature. And so if we can remove the clouds of our hindrance, anxiety, I'm not good enough. Will I get this part? Will they like me? Will I be able to pay rent? All of these thoughts in the neurology of the brain actually hinder our radiance. And so breath helps you get very present to your task at hand, lets you look at a script or look at an assignment or a job interview or a conversation you're about to have with more pristine presence. It's called uh, when the mind, (laughs) so another uh, saying in the Tao, ancient wisdom tradition of Taoism, there's a saying that says, when we see through the mirage of the mind, meaning all those thoughts that we are, that I was just verbalizing. When we mm-hmm. three see through the mirage of the mind, consciousness becomes like a flawless crystal. So if you walk into a room as clear as can be, available, your skills available, your confidence radiating, there is something about an actor or a friend or someone you're going to hire an employee that you want to be around. Mm-hmm. And that's this radiance of our being. If you're reading a script outside in the in the waiting room or in your green room and you're about to go on stage or something, the breath is the quickest way back to the present moment, which is the most powerful moment of your life. As I breathe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, do you notice sometimes when you hold your breath? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. It's this impulse to be safe. It's part yeah. of the primitive brain that says freeze. Don't move. It's one of our ancient ways of survival, the million years of development into our part of the brain that does that. So without us knowing it, when we master how to breathe on purpose, we step past what we haven't been aware of in terms of holding a breath or chest breathing, which minimizes your oxygen intake. By the way, belly breathing maximizes oxygen intake. So in a moment, let's get into the physiology. But yes, as we breathe, 
<laughs> as we remember. Even, in fact, your listeners right now, and the producer, and everybody that's around, that hears this voice. Breathe in slowly, really slowly through the nose, and hold it for just three seconds. One, two, three, and let out a sigh. And do it one more time. Breathe in slowly, relax the body in. Hold, one, two, relax your shoulders. Let out a sigh, and just let go. Now the quiet and the stillness that is revealed, I would venture to say, is our deepest wisdom. Because it's when you're taking a shower or jogging or doing something inane, the body is actually preoccupied, and quite often the brain has room to have a thought. And it's from the more open mind, or silence, where our most wise thoughts come from. I'll bet you have listeners, this happens to me, or maybe you too, where you're taking a shower and you get exactly the thought that you needed. Yeah. Right? And so that open background is actually our nature. We have that wisdom 24-7. But it's like the clouds that covers up the radiance of our intelligence and our, <laughs> as actors, our unique, vibrant way of being that we want to have cast. And the more we radiate that earnest self, I think the more we're wanted to have or be to be around on a set because there's mm -hmm. something so earnest and real and conscious about that person, you know? Yeah, we all have that voice inside of us that knows the answer. And I feel like we've been trained to not listen to it or to listen to the voice that says you're not enough or what I call the gremlin. And so it's it's taken me some time to trust that voice that comes out when I get quiet and go within and listen to my breath. Yeah, we have to unlearn. Another practice in the Taoism, in the practice of Taoism is we don't learn how to make or become. We learn how to unmake and unbecome. Mm -hmm. Unmaking the way the mind thinks, which is the training that you're referring to, the all the advertising, and our parents, God bless them, and their grandparents. We've all been modeled by consciousness of generations that have learned to believe they're not enough. The amazing thing about America is we can look at the 50s and 60s when supposedly there was this great growth of the middle class, but and that was great. But if you really think about it, it was based on the belief that you need a house and you need a dishwasher and you need, right. you aren't enough without this or some extension of that idea that you're not enough. So you're exactly right. Happiness is out there and peace is out there somewhere, not inside you, which still exists today. But I feel like more and more people are realizing that it comes from within. Yeah, and I think the reason they're realizing it is because we're beginning to see through the illusion that the other is true. Mm -hmm. It's not causing happiness our dependency on the external world. Again, it's either Buddhism or Taoism where they call it the exteriorization of happiness. So it's making external the source of our happiness. And mm -hmm. most all of us, especially in the world today with COVID-19, and we're seeing that the external world is causing us, even in our own homes, we have this sense of powerlessness, being out of control, some kind of power that lies outside of us. And I would say even during these times, it's even more important to have a sense of self, a sense of a solace or an inner cave we can return to where there's 
a sense of safety and, and self-love and, and peace. Yeah. And breath is one of the ways to do that. You teach the box breath in our sessions together. And I have been doing the box breath daily, uh, at least once a day, if not twice or more, definitely as I go to sleep at night, when I wake up in the morning, and then when I feel stressed throughout the day, I will stop and do the box breath. Do you want to share what that is and and teach people how to do it? Sure, I'd love to. Um, For everyone that's listening and about to listen to this, I want you to know right up front, before even to turn the key and open the door, it's easy. It's so easy. Agreed. Yeah, amen, right? So here's here's the deal. <laughs> You're already breathing. So all that we're doing is beginning to make a decision about how we breathe. So I'm going to give you a little bit of insight into why this is so powerful. Physiologically, we're in the body. When you breathe, the oxygen comes in and it exchanges in the blood cell with carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide comes out, right? We all kind of know that. Carbon dioxide is for the trees and they make oxygen for us. So it's this symbiotic, beautiful part of nature. There are ways that we can utilize oxygen in heightened ways. And that's what I'm going to share with you now. And you can use this in 60 seconds. You can do this for 20 minutes. Uh, There's anything you can do with it. What you are doing is you're enhancing in a couple of ways, the power of oxygen in your body. And you're also strengthening your immune system. You're opening your blood vessels to get more oxygen. You're cleansing your breath. And all of this is done because we're breathing specifically through the nose. It's called nasal breathing. We're a mammal still in animal sense. And most all animals breathe through their nose. And that's because it's the healthiest way for keeping homeostasis of the body balance of the body's chemical systems. So, nasal breathing and nasal breathing slow and holding our breath are the main three components. I found out that nitric oxide, which is a gas in your nasal passages, goes in with your air into your bloodstream and opens your blood vessels. It's a relaxant. But I just found out recently as well, something that can be valuable valuable during times of, of viruses and needing a strong immune system. Nitric oxide, this little microscopic molecule in your nasal passages, also is antiviral. It has an antiviral component. So if you breathe slowly through your nose, you're enhancing your ability to battle bacteria and viruses and germs. So just that's an FYI of the power of nasal breathing. So this is how it goes. Box breathing is a couple of thousand years old, and it means equal-sided breathing. So imagine a box. One side is the inhalation, then at the top of the box we hold. We exhale is the third side, and the bottom of the the, the box is holding again. So it's in, hold, out, hold. That's the box. This is an ancient yogic breath called pranayama. Pranayama, and pranayama is yogic breathing, and there's many types. This is one type of pranayama, and it's called Samavriti, which means the same-sided. So it goes like this. I'll practice with you, Courtney, and everyone that's listening. Mm -hmm. So first we're going to breathe in and then exhale everything in our lungs. Not forcefully, but just most of what's in there. So breathe in and blow out. Good. Now through the nose, breathe in on a count of four. In, two, three, four. And just hold gently, two, 
three, four, and allow the air through your nose out, two, three, four, and then pause at the bottom of the box, two, three, four, and repeat, in, hold, relax your shoulders, allow the air to escape, you don't have to force anything, out, and pause before you leave all the air out of your lungs, makes it a little easier, breathe in, two, Hold. Allow the air to release. And pause at the bottom. Begin to notice the stillness at the top and bottom when you're holding. And breathe in. And hold. Notice the quiet, the centering of the body. And exhale. And pause. Notice the stillness. One more time on your own. Now take a full breath. Fill your lungs, uh, bottom and top, and hold it for four seconds, not hurting yourself. And when you're done, let out a sigh. Now for actors, let's do that one more time. Breathe in, fill the lungs, bottom and top. Relax, don't hurt yourself. Hold. And this time at the end of the holding, let out an ah and the vibration of an ah. And exhale. Ah. Feel the vibration. Ah. Now, just notice the experience of the body. And what do you feel, Courtney? Peaceful, relaxed. I don't know how you knew I was carrying tension in my shoulders, but <laughs> when you said, let that go, I did. <laughs> I hold a lot of tension in my shoulders and my face, which is not helpful for on camera, the, the tension in the face. Right. Unless you have a character that needs right. that. But the, the goal of this that we're exploring is being able to paint as you need to paint. If you're only painting with the colors of tension in your face, you're not actually as versatile as you could be. Right. I'm taking a close-up class to teach you how to be captivating in a close-up. And it's all about releasing the tension from your face. Like if you watch A-list actors in close-ups in movies, they're not moving at all pretty much. They're not like nothing is happening with tension in their face and it's, everything is happening in the eyes. And a woman was saying like she thought she needed to have Botox to <laughs> to be able to do that. But this that this class was helping her do that. And someone said, I don't I don't know how to do that. Like, how do we release that tension and relax? And I said, meditation helps. <laughs> yeah. And breath <laughs> and breath. Yeah. Let's do it for an example. So everybody listening and you too, Courtney and Anybody else? I keep wanting to include the producer. but um, You can include Mike. Okay, Mike. <laughs> You're included, friend. Because this can also affect the vocal cords if we need to have more space for vocalization and more air coming through. So uh, let's do this for the face. So you don't need to tense your face too much, like awkwardly in public. You might think someone might think what's going strangely. But just a little bit. Tense this forehead like we all do unconsciously. Maybe a little bit of the jaw. Now, we're going to use a box breath. Just one single breath. The box, okay? So hold the tension in the face. Now, 
And breathe in through the nose. One, two, three, four. And hold it. And on the exhale, allow the face to begin to let go. Exhale. And pause and just notice the experience. And what do you notice? We didn't really have to do anything. It just kind of happened automatically when you thought about it and you started breathing. Right. Now, it's important to also have a lot of compassion for ourselves. Because, remember, we've been trained by life, Mm -hmm. by culture, to work hard, to effort, to sweat. Mm -hmm. Without pain, there's no gain. All of these these edicts, really, from on high, culture, and these perfectionist, A-type personality traits of always accomplishing and always being productive. And it's one of the challenges of, of COVID is people are really challenged because they can't do all the things that they wanted to do, and they don't know what to do with time. But it's the same with the face. The face carries that tension. And so be really gentle and loving with yourself. Do this breath three or four or five or six times. Notice the face may be in a mask that has been developed over, you know, years. And then let it be what it is. But you can let go internally of it. And it doesn't necessarily change the full shape. It just changes your sense. Again, your malleability of the mask that you're using as an actor. You want it to be loose. So let's come back to what you just said, Courtney. Close-ups. I want to add, it's not only with the eyes. The script is telling a whole story that it's projecting onto your face. We forget that. There's music and there's lighting and there's costumes and so much is telling the story. And I feel like as actors, we think we have to do so much and we really don't have to do We just have to think and feel and, I mean, gosh, that's a metaphor for life, too. (laughs) It is. That's why this is beautiful, this breathing work that we're doing right now in this interview that we're having. For those that are actors or artists, especially actors, this work that you're doing is for your body. Your body is your life work. It's your career. And so if you can master this for your body personally... You bring that personal mastery into your art form. And so this is, like we were joking before, this is a bonus two for one. If you can really explore this, not just to get a job, but for your own well-being. That's what emanates when you walk in the room, your own sense of well-being. And you know what else, Courtney? I just have to say this also philosophically. The more you come to your own sense of well-being, you may or may not get the role But the level of attachment and desperation and urgency that we bring into the room also impacts the percentage chance that we will get a role. And so this heightens the serenity prayer, right? the wisdom to know the difference between what I can control and what I can't. I have found that to be so true in my life when I think back, I don't know, six, eight, ten years ago, how desperate and needy and clingy I was and how that just was not working for me. (laughs) And the more that I worked on myself and the more that I worked on my own happiness and in my whole life. That's what this podcast is all about. And what my coaching is all about is to be your whole self without needing acting. And then, you know, for me, I'm a testament that my acting career started flourishing once that happened. And I wasn't focusing on being a better actor. I was focusing on being a better human. 
Beautiful. Well, I've heard so many times Anthony Hopkins, if not many others, I mean, not this is not true all they want, but one of the main components is if you walk in and you're someone they would like to have around them on the set, that's huge. Absolutely. I feel like that's why I'm a recurring character on Chicago Med is because people like having me around. Yes. Yes. Because you know what's true? Many people could have created that role. Yeah. And it could have been great for them. But there was some destined way that you, your radiance, your vivacity, your presence was seen to be of value. And then they get to love you and then be as a person, a presence. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about this, really. If anybody's been on a set, it's huge what the energy of a cast is, right? If you have different players who are mostly in fear and anxiety and anxious and maybe testy and, you know, for their own personal story reasons, you know, we can't blame anybody. But it's such a joy to be around people of warm heartedness and kindness and generosity and that changes. The, I mean, it, it increases the joy of being on the set, which increases the success of the show. Absolutely. <laughs> and I do feel like Chicago Med, especially, that's what it's all about. Not that people don't have bad days and there's yelling and people are in bad moods and tired and things like that. But for the most part, energetically, I just feel like people want to be there and people enjoy each other's company. And that creates something really beautiful on set. For sure. And then if there is ups and downs, which is which is inherent in the human behavior, if you're more centered or have a way to use a tool to quickly come back to your own non-reactivity and your better presence, then you contribute to a better outcome or at least an atmosphere. I call it holding consciousness. You don't jump in the water with it, but you hold the state for it to resolve in a better way to the degree that is of any possibility. But above all, you feel better inside. You know, Courtney, I want to share with you one of the things and. For your listeners, one of the things that was a, is still a big part of my life. When I was 17, I studied pantomime with a teacher who was a mystic, and he taught uh, spiritual principles through pantomime. So I was 17, and I was studying the spiritual principles, that emptiness, an empty stage, spacious, without a prop, was not empty. It was actually infinite in content. My job as the artist, the performer, was to walk into that empty space and become infinite possibilities. You could use your voice under the same understanding. You could be an actor in the emptiness of a set, not just an empty stage, but the space between the props and between the set. And wherever you are on the camera, you are potentially unfolding something that was before unseen. So I studied when I was 17 and today... Still, as an actor, as a mime, but when I'm teaching the principles, either on stage or in seminars or even one-on-one, I still include these principles as the foundation of my life. And so we're really exploring the deep wisdom traditions of the, of the earth, really, when we talk about the stage having been holy. It was sacred. It was a place of storytelling before it came entertainment. And so we as actors, to me, I, I don't... I don't think of actors in any superficial way, whatever we're doing. If we're doing commercials or jingles or, you know, or doing Hamlet, we're still plying a trade that's ancient in my book. Mm. And when I was 17 and I studied with my teacher, who's still probably my greatest teacher still in my heart today, Samuel Avatal was his name, and the school was called Le Centre du Silence, the Center of Silence, because it's out of silence that life is born. 
as an actor, if we can learn to diminish what I called the clouds from the moon, the brightness of our radiance, the clouds through breathing, and your radiance on the set is an example of it, and my success as a mime, I traveled all over the world. I performed for the United Nations um, peace events and at Hiroshima and the anniversary of the dropping of the atomic bomb 40 years later. And wow. My body was used around the world for standing as a presence for peace, for silence, for unity. And I think no matter what the actor has coming out of the mouths as a script or improvising or physical performance or shtick or vaudeville or whatever it is or comedy, I see it as a holy profession because of our own consciousness, not just mm-hmm. what we're doing, but who we are being. I think the outside world, casting directors, producers, directors, I think people and, and fellow actors feel something like that. And I think it enhances our lives and in the terms of being an actor, our careers. Yeah. And I know I just want to give testament to you working with you as my coach and working on feeling your emotions and not being afraid of feeling your emotions. It it just, in the few months that we've worked together, I feel like I've grown as an actor because I have the ability to be vulnerable and have just emotions rise to the surface so much easier and quicker and not push them away. And I'm like starting to cry right now talking to you. Mm. (laughs) Um, And I'm not going to push that away because it's beautiful and it helps me be a better actor. And I want to thank you for that. Mm. Yeah. So can you tell before we, before we end, can you tell people how they can get in touch with you or work with you or see your videos online, and then we can put that in the show notes as well so they have that there. Sure. So there's a couple of ways that I can quickly say. First off, my website is just my name.com. So it's davidlz.com. So you'll see that in the description. And that has a lot of information about my work. Uh, But also in the realm of seeing it and seeing who I am, my YouTube channel is full of uh, videos that include performance, by the way, and movement and mime and storytelling through the body, all with the hope most of the time of inspiring people's personal transformation and awakening. Uh, So my YouTube channel, and then lastly, my Facebook page. Um, I have two, but my personal one is where I do a Facebook Live every Friday morning at 9 a.m. Central Time. I really address these principles just like we were today. Those are the three ways. I'm developing a multi-video program that will use all the principles that I use to transform my own life and my coaching and teaching. I'm really excited about it, and it'll come out later in the year. So what I invite people to do is on my home page of my uh, website, there's a button that says Stay Inspired, and you can add your name to my mailing list and be kept up to date on everything I'm doing. So those are the ways that you can stay in touch. They can also email me on my website anytime. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up about breath, about acting, about you, anything at all? First, I want to acknowledge you, Courtney, because you are a shining example of the mixture of vulnerability and wisdom and presence. And I think that's what we all yearn for with less and less and less facades between us and the world. So I want to just Mm. bow to you in that way. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) And then the other is for everyone that's listening, I just really encourage you to remember how important breathing is and specifically if nothing else 
slowly in and slowly out through the nose can change your life. It is the unseen, the invisible. In the Bible, it's called the breath of life in the nostrils of Adam. It is spoken of in scriptures throughout history, how essential it is. So please remember, that is yours to have. Rumi said, one of the marvels of the world is seeing a soul sitting in prison with the key in their hand. And so we have that key. So I invite everybody to use it. Wow. Thank you, David. You're amazing. You too, Courtney. It's really a pleasure and great joy. Yeah. And I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you to our guests, Eric Shadrone and David Elzey. I also want to give a special shout out to Jamie and Eric at Blythe Martin Productions for my amazing little jingle there. Thanks to Mike Caputo at Pod Clubhouse for producing this awesome podcast and Joe Mazza for the photo in my logo. The Whole Artist with Courtney Rue is produced under the SAG-AFTRA new media contract. So thanks SAG-AFTRA for that. I hope you've been inspired. I hope you learned something and I hope you feel better than you did before you were listening to this. So have a great day and I'll see you next time. The whole artist with Courtney Rue. The whole artist with Courtney Rue is a pod clubhouse original production produced, engineered and edited at pod clubhouse studios. Follow us online at podclubhouse.com.